Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. We're back. Another uh, another smooth intro for McNamara on Money. Uh, welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside uh, Kirk Reed today. Uh, the old man is uh, driving on his way to Florida. So we're up here live in the Merrimack Valley. Uh, if you have any questions, Questions, uh, you know, on on 2020 or really anything, uh, give us a ring. Telephone number is 978-454-4980. That's 978-454-4980. And uh, we're just about through wrapping up 2020, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna press on here. So, Kirk, uh, I think uh, the next thing I'd like to chat about it's it's a uh, it's it's a tough one maybe on the radio, but I I, I did wanna. I did want to get into, um, you know, kind of valuations, right? So, you know, often at this time of year, particularly, and and really throughout the course of the year, we start to hear things about, uh, you know, that you know people come in with their market prognostications. In a lot of times, that is, you know, that's you'll hear things like, oh, you know, the market uh, is at an all-time high, or market valuations are at an all-time high, and or or they're or they're low, or or they're you know, or, or they're this or they're that. And, and, you know, and based on that fact, we're going to make a, uh, a guess that the market will be up this year or down this year, or you should take uh, more risk or less risk. So I, I did want to get into some of that and just, uh, you know, explain, I don't, I don't think it's, again, the, the, the discussion is not going to end in a, Hey, here's what you should do with your portfolio based on where we are now. But I would like to, you know, at least at least get into it and explain it because that that terminology is, I think it's it's out there enough, uh, and I think it would be helpful for folks to sort of know, you know know at least some of the uh, the metrics on which those uh, those prognostications uh, are made. That work for you? Yes. All right. Matching. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, you know, the, the I think, uh, at least from my point of view, you know, one of the more dominant uh, metrics by which people are, are looking forward at the stock market is called uh, the Schiller Cape Ratio. Uh, Robert Schiller is a uh, is a is a famous uh, economist out of Yale, uh, and he uh, has put together something called what that he calls the Cape Ratio. The Cape Ratio stands for cyclically adjusted PE ratio. Now we, we've we've talked about uh, PE ratios earlier in the show. Uh, just as a refresher, uh, PE price 
to earnings. In other words, a, a, a PE ratio is trying to explain how much a dollar of earnings costs. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're zooming. Hi, Arden. Can you hear me? Yes. We are subject to interruption here because we are both, both of us are zooming from home and I have, uh, well, actually we, we both have a bunch of dogs and a bunch of kids running around here. So uh, Arden is now, uh, is Kirk's youngest and she is, she's on my Zoom screen. You know what, you know what, she came running over here when, when she heard you talking about Robert Schiller. Yeah, she, she's a big fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> he won the Nobel. Yeah, she. Yeah, he won the Nobel Prize. Of course, you know, so Arden would be interested. Eight years old. She just wrote. She just wrote an essay about him. You know, she can't get enough. She wants to. That's that's her hero. Uh, well, if she has any, if she has any market prognostications, hers are, I'm sure, as good as ours. So uh, you know, have her chime in anytime. All she's she's gonna go write something down in a crayon, I think, with a crayon. <laughs> Uh, all right. So anyways, uh, so the, the Schiller Cape ratio, again, it, it's, it's referred to fairly often, uh, in our industry again. Uh, so PE price to earnings, it's, it's how much does your stock cost relative to the number of earnings, right. That you're getting. So a PE ratio of 20 means that for every dollar of earnings, uh, you know, the, the price is 20, you know, so it's, so it's $20 in cost per share for every dollar's worth of earnings that you get. Uh, and, and obviously, if you, if you have a stock where you're buying a dollar's worth of earnings for $20 and or you're buying a dollar's worth of earnings for $100, right, a PE of 100, well, that's, that's a pretty expensive stock, right? You're, you're paying 100 bucks and you're only getting a dollar back in earnings. Now, now th- this is you know, the stock market is not a purely a real time transaction, right? So it's, it's, you know, it's very much forward looking. So uh, a PE ratio of a hundred may very well be fine because, you know, you're buying uh, Amazon back in the year two. I don't even know when Amazon was founded. Let's call it 2005. Um, right. That, that may be, an, that may have been appropriate because future earnings are, you know, are potentially significant, but so, um, so what the what the Schiller Cape ratio is is it adjusts for 1997. 97. Okay, yeah. that's good. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe Facebook's the one that's sort of mid two thousand. Eighteen bucks was the uh, the IPO. <laughs> pretty, yeah, I guess that's been a pretty good investment. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, Again, so so what 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 Robert Schiller did, obviously, you know, year to year, quarter to quarter earnings in any stock, even in the stock market, are will be will be much more volatile than a longer term trend. So what you know what Robert Schiller Schiller did was say, said, hey, you know what, if you really want to know how expensive the market is, you you should probably use a longer term time frame. And so the you know the Schiller Cape ratio is just a ten year averaging of earnings and then and then you take the price based on that 10-year average earnings which which gives you a much less volatile uh measure because you know if, if all of your earnings are based on 10 are based on 10 years every new quarter that you get it will only adjust those earnings by just a bit and so it's it's, it's more of a long-term look at, at what's happening and how expensive your uh you know the, the stock market is relative to uh you know a, a more historical earnings number is that- is that um, is that that cape ratio? Is that is that applicable to uh, individual stocks or or indexes or both? Or? So. If you ever hear, if, if, if you ever consume it out there in the media, it's probably, it's going to be based on the S&P 500 index, right? That's, that's where you hear right. most of it right. most often. And, but you can certainly, yeah, you, you can do it based on, uh, you know, based on any stock, right? I mean, all you, all you need to do is have 10 years of earnings with, with the stock. Uh, and then you, you know, you can calculate the, sh- you know, the, the cape ratio based on that as well. Um, so, you know, the, the reason I'm explaining it, it, it sort of, it came to relative prominence, uh, you know, in the, maybe in the the past 10 years or so, uh, just as a better way to assess valuations than the more volatile, you know, kind of shorter term uh, profitability of a company. And, and, but, but more recently, you know, it, it hasn't been all that predictive, right? And the idea was, well, this is a better way to predict future market returns because, you know, if, if, uh, if valuations are at, on the high end of their 10 year average, you know, of, of, of the Schiller cave, well then, then, you know, if, if it's, if you're historically high, then probably what you're going to see is lower 
future returns because you know people things usually revert to averages and so when you're you know when your shiller cape ratio is at all-time highs you should be nervous because that probably means that your future returns on stocks are going to be on the lower end and so what we have is uh you know we, we've had that discussion in our business for a while and i will now point out that as of right now the Schiller Cape ratio is at relative all-time highs, right? The the only time that it's been higher, I'm it's, I'm looking at it's about it's not quite 35, um, but that's higher than it was uh, at every time except the dot-com bubble, right? So when you know I, I've read you know some articles about you know the, the, we're in a bubble now, right? We always have those articles. Um, a lot of that would be based on the fact that the Schiller PE ratio, the Schiller Cape, is at is at all time highs, right? It's higher than it's been at any time other than in two thousand, okay. when they were really historically high. So, okay, so you're saying right now the the number is thirty five. That's, that's well, the yeah. That's it looks the like it's just of. just south of thirty five. I don't have the exact number, but I, I on a scale of thirty to five, it's it's. 30 to 35 it's pretty close to that 35 so like um like for a comparison like what what would it what would that number be like in a like in you know during a low period in the market right so back in 19 well i'll give you you know in 19 but in 2010 it was uh about 15 okay right because we're just coming off the recession Right. And, the, you know, the market is way down. So maybe that's late 2009, 2010. It was down at 15. The long term average going back to 1945 is uh, it's it's just under 20. Right. Okay. So it's like 17, 18 percent. 1718 is the long-term average if you're looking back to 1945 yeah. and here we are you know sitting at just about double that right right and so you know the, the theory goes well hey uh if 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 the long-term average Schiller cape is accurate and if we are going to go and if we are going to go back to normal right if we're going to return to the average then really we should be at you know the the stock market should be just about exactly half of what it is now, right? So the so the real you know like well that should be the appropriate valuation is uh, seventeen or eighteen. So we need to drop by half in order to get there, which is where you get some of these you know st- sort of stock market calls and bubble calls that well if we go back to normal we have a long way to go on the way down. So you could I mean my my assumption is that you could apply this to like any any market right like an international market for yeah. example right absolutely yeah and, and we'll talk yeah we'll, we'll talk briefly about that but okay. um when, when we get into you know I don't, I don't have specific numbers on those markets but um but yeah so you, you can you can make this it's just a simple math calculation right you take 10 years of earnings and you divide by the current price and there and you know then you have it it's not that it's, you know with with an adjustment for inflation uh on the earnings because you're going backwards 10 years yeah, um, I, think, I think i just think yeah i thought it would be interesting to compare you know, that 35, you know, in the U.S. versus yeah. what the internationals are looking like. Just well, I can, I can answer the question. The international is all, they're all significantly lower. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've. I need made, a number. I need a number, Justin. <laughs> well, I'm sure you could probably Google it while I'm, right. I'm, I've been yammering on and on here. So I'm, I'm sure you got plenty of time to Google over there. All right. We do have, right. We've been having this discussion for a while, right. You know, that, that, the, the valuations overseas have been lower than here in the United States for a long time. Um, and uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean that short term uh, that the international markets are going to outperform. That's certainly not the case because they've been like that for a while. And we've still seen the U.S. Uh, continue to do very well. But uh, it, it is it is an argument where you uh, it's certainly an argument that you that you probably ought not uh, completely ignore uh, international stocks, even if you're not going to go put more money in them and, and don't want to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, do some rotation out of the U.S. and into inter- international. Um, that's something that you that you might consider doing. But uh, I would I would certainly consider at least having international exposure in your portfolio based on where we are now with with valuations. Uh, OK, so again, that that's that's sort of one side of the story. I'll, I'll tell, you know, the, the other side is, well, maybe we shouldn't always look at, you know, one metric doesn't always, it doesn't always, one metric sort of rarely is ever a, 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 
a, a complete look at where we are with regards to, to sort of valuations and, and what we're guessing about the future, right? So, you know, you could you could certainly argue that stocks are at all-time highs, um, but you could also argue that the market is is fairly valued using using a second measure that was also developed uh, by by Robert Schiller even more recently, right? So, so he's. Uh, He's also come up recently with the excess cape yield, and again, let me let me let me, let me grab Arden. Let me get Arden okay. back over there. <laughs> she's. I'm sure she. I'm sure she's. You know, this is this has been out for I think a year or two. So she's probably she's probably already had this in her uh, in her economics class. I think she already, she already wrote him a, a letter. Of thank you. <laughs> she's saying thank you. Your your Schiller cape hasn't been predictive for the last bunch of years, and now now we know why. Yeah. Uh, so uh, excess Cape yield, right? So all we're doing now is we're going to take that Schiller ratio, but we're going to flip it around, right? So price to earnings is you get, you know, if you have, let's just say a, a simple example, right? You have your, your price of your stock is $100 and your earnings are $5 a share, right? In that case, you have a PE ratio of 20, right? 100 divided by five is 20. That's your, that's your PE ratio. If you flip the mathematical equation and you do earnings by price, you essentially get something that's like a yield, right? So five divided by a hundred, you get a, uh, I'm sorry, no, that's a, that's a, a 5% yield, right? If you were to sort of calculate those earnings as a, as a ratio of the overall price, you get a, you, you get something that's sort of like a dividend yield on a bond or a stock, right? So you're going to get a 5% earnings yield. And so what the Schiller excess Cape does is it, is it reverses those numbers. It gives you a yield and then it compares it to interest rates. Right. And so it says, well, well, uh, you know what, if you're if the inverse of your Schiller Cape is uh, is five percent and the and what you can do is is you can go out and buy a bond for 10 percent, you know, a a guaranteed government bond, then your stocks probably are are very overvalued. Right. Because, you know, why would you take that five percent versus, uh, you know, versus the 10 percent somewhere else? Uh, in a guaranteed investment, and so and so the Schiller Cape just you know so is trying to draw a comparison between the yield of earnings uh, again averaged out over a ten year period, and then compares them to you know current bond market rates, which are again historically low, right? The the ten year government bond is is below one percent, uh, and so if you take a look back in time based on this Schiller measure. Uh, you know, the, the long-term average is about, uh, is about 3%. And, uh, and, you know, lo and behold, the current Schiller excess Cape is, is just about almost exactly what the long-term average is, right? So you look back since 1945 and uh, the, you know, the average excess yield uh, is about, is about 3%. And that's sort of exactly where we sit now. So based on that valuation metric, we are fairly valued. Right, and so you know, again, I, I wouldn't do too too much with this. I, I'm just trying to explain. So can I can I kind of yeah. uh, try to say that back to see? By all means, yeah, by all means, because it's it is yeah. it's a little complex. Yeah, to see, to see if I understand it, and, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and therefore some other people, maybe at least someone out there is, is following along. Exactly. So, so I mean, it sounds like stock U.S. stocks are you know perhaps overvalued. Uh, you know, versus, you know, other other periods in time. How, however, because yep. interest rates are so low, it, it still makes them attractive, versus, right? Or, or at least, yeah, or, or at least not unattractive, right? So, yeah, if you're just looking purely at how, how where stocks are valued relative to where they've been valued, from a, you know a historical perspective, they are at you know very much at all time highs, and and that would suggest you being nervous, right? But you know what what this what you know what this you know this excess cape yield is trying to do is put it in context of the alternatives, right? right? So 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 you know everything is relative in in the uh, in the stock and the bond world, and you know you know maybe stocks are expensive right now but again you know what's the alternative right we, we right. talked earlier in the show about you know the the bond market index yielding just over one percent 
per year. Well, well, that's not particularly attractive, and, and I'm not sure why you would want to go run out and buy that, right? I mean, if 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 your inflation expectation is even on the lower end of the historical average, right? Even if it's one and a half percent for the next five years, uh, you know, you're likely to have a negative return on your bonds, a negative real return after inflation on your bonds over a five year period, and then in that context, well, you know, if, if if interest rates were five and inflation was going to be two, well, then you could go grab 3%, you know, a nice return on your bonds and if it's losing money, well, maybe that's a very different story, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not. And just as another, another piece of data, you know, so the show, the Alyssa and I, though, you know, one one section that we're talking about, you know, fixed annuities, you know, which is basically, yeah. you know, it's like 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 a CD, um, you know, t- maybe a l- little bit more uh, as a as a comparison. So like on like a you know a th- you, they're basically all the same. So I, I was looking at using Fidelity, you know, to see some of their offerings, and they're like you've got a three year, a five year, a seven year, a nine year, a ten year, you know, fixed indexed annuity. I'm not. I'm sorry. Not an index. Just a fixed annuity. Yep. Um, and I mean, they're all running in like somewhere between like one to one and a half percent. I mean, so you know, it, yeah, inter- with interest rates the way they are right now, rates are just so low. And yeah, and do, you know, do you want to even if you lock up your money for several years, you're still not going to get much more than like one percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and again, so the alternative is is what right? And uh, you know, it's not. It's it's not. I don't think it's obvious to me or to anyone else that uh, that that's a great alternative, even to the stock market, which as we've seen can be volatile, right? I mean, you know, you you can. Uh, we always preach that there is potential volatility out there, and even when stocks, you know, when stocks are higher, they have further to fall. Uh, but it's it's just not obvious that that uh, you know sort of rotate you know reducing your stock market exposure is is the best idea at this point if you're if you're inclined to do that right if this is how you manage your portfolio where you're attempting to uh, you know put assets move assets from places that are likely to you know to to do better and and move you know move assets away from uh, places that are likely to do worse uh, it's it's not obvious to uh, to me based on at least these numbers that you want to go try and do that because there's just not a it's just not a great alternative right Anyone who anyone who has a checking account and has looked around for other you know other savings and investments accounts knows that there just aren't all that many alternatives when it comes to uh, finding yield out there, right? Yeah. What's that? True story. True story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think my my last one was just about fixed income, which we did just check on, right? Which we did just touch on. So again, you, you're looking at a very low yield in the bond market, and you know, if you have anything approaching a normal inflation level, uh, what you get is a probably a negative real return. Cindy, did you say something? No. Oh, okay. I must have been one of your kids again, Kirk. It was. Mine That's why I tried to I tried to meet myself real quick. <laughs> All right, uh, working from home. Uh, okay, we have we only have a few minutes before the break, so I don't know if I want to jump in. But yeah, so let me just preview what we're going to do uh, after the break. I didn't leave us a whole lot of, a whole lot of time for this, but you know, I, I would like to go over kind of some year end checklist stuff. What you might want to do, uh, you know, we'll talk about rebalancing, maybe maybe taking some profits. Obviously, things uh, you know things have done have gone relatively well in the market this year, even with the dip. So uh, we can talk about you know for those of you who are uh, who are t- you know who are taking income and, and need money from their portfolios. Uh, we'll talk about potentially grabbing some and, you know, does it make sense to pull some money off the table? Uh, you know, I, I think we should probably touch on risk tolerance as well. Um, it's always, we, I don't like, you know, the, the ideal is that you don't reassess your risk tolerance, you know, during a, during a particularly lousy market. Right, because you know the the biggest mistake that most folks make is uh, is that they go and they and they change their uh, they change their risk profile at the worst time. Right, usually that's they get more conservative after the market has gone down. Uh, preferably, if you can, you want to do that uh, after the market has gone up. So, given the fact that it's the end of the year, we're, we're you know we're 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 sort of taking stock of everything. 
And we've had a pretty good year uh, this year, particularly, and, and the long-term uh, returns on stocks are still are, are quite good as well. Um, maybe now is not a bad time to revisit that risk tolerance. So we'll talk we'll talk a bit about that uh, on the other side of the break. Uh, I think now is also a good time to look at your uh, look at your investments. Um, you know, particularly if if you're managing them yourself and or if you're uh, if you're in a four hundred one k. You know what? What are your options as far as investments go, and uh, and you know, is it time to make a change? So we'll we'll go over on a little portfolio assessment, and then, ooh, should you make tactical changes? I put that one at the end because it's it gets a little complicated. So we will be right back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, alongside. Kirk Reed, which I think this is the first time you're recording live up here in the Merrimack Valley. So thank you for joining me. The old man uh, is on his way to sunny Florida. He, I'm sure he'll be back. Uh, he'll be back via Zoom, just like we are today. Both of us are. Uh, as as our, if you've been listening for the last two hours, you you know that because we've had periodic interruptions here. So our apologies for that. But we are in the in the home stretch here, Kirk. And uh, I think it took me a little bit longer to get through the, uh, the sort of the where we are now and, and the 2020 wrap up. Uh, but I have, uh, you know, we have about a half an hour to go through some, I think I, what I would call them is some, maybe some year end administrative uh, things, some things you just want to think about. Uh, people tend to take stock of stuff here at the, in the new year and make, uh, make resolutions. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look at your portfolio and maybe talk about a few things that you may want to uh, may want to do now that we have a new year here. So, all right, first one, uh, rebalance. Uh, we've been over this one enough. I, I think maybe most people know what the term rebalance means, but really all it means is, is put your investment portfolio back together uh, or, or at least somewhat back together into its original, uh, into its, you know, original allocations, right? So, uh, every, literally your portfolio is generally only ever perfectly in balance on day one, right? Because if you're, if you're putting, you know, if you have a multi-asset class portfolio, uh, generally speaking, uh, after that first day, you have a, you have different performance, uh, from each of your asset classes. And so your, you know, your 20% in large cap stocks, maybe the next, maybe on, on day two is 20.1 and, and it changes from there. So, you know, we, we, obviously uh, recommend rebalancing. It's part of what we do for our clients on a regular basis. Um, but for those of you managing your own portfolio, uh, we think you probably want to put some type of rebalancing program in. And, you know, just to just to explain it, you know, and, and I'm looking at a chart here, but, you know, you can find any, anyone out there can just Google a chart uh, and it's, you know, Google a, a risk versus return chart. And what you will see is, uh, you know, you'll see on the left-hand side, you'll see a line that slowly goes up, right? You'll see, you know, potential return goes up as you slide, you know, toward the right-hand side of the chart. Uh, but so does the risk of an underlying portfolio, right? So an, an unrebalanced portfolio, if you if you if you leave a, you know, if you leave a, a portfolio unrebalanced for long enough, eventually what you see is, you know, your 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 risky assets, which tend to make more money. Are uh, become a larger and larger percentage of your portfolio, whereas your more conservative assets get smaller and smaller over time. And effectively, what you're doing is you're increasing the risk-return profile as you as you leave it unrebalanced. And it's just it's always a good idea to put it back together. Maybe not necessarily from a return point of view, but if you're you know if you for example are an investor who's in a balanced strategy, and you have sixty you know you're you're uh, you're you have a diversified portfolio of stocks, sixty percent of your uh, assets, and, and and a diversified portfolio of bonds for forty percent. You pick that for a reason, and when you get to eighty twenty, or even ninety ten, you have a kind of a drastically different investment strategy, and you know now you have a, a riskier portfolio maybe than you signed up for originally. And so it's it's you know always a good idea to put together a uh, a rebalancing strategy just you know just kind of mostly primarily as a risk mitigation tool 
because you know you choose your portfolio for a reason, and it's usually because of your of your risk tolerance, right? Everyone everyone would choose an aggressive strategy if it didn't come with any investment volatility. So anytime someone is uh, is is dropping down to a non equity portfolio, if you're if you're putting in bonds and more conservative investments, uh, you you probably need to have some kind of rebalancing plan to keep you on track. You okay with that? Yeah, um, and I know that there's you know <clears throat> lots of you know debate and, and ongoing debate about the you know the timing and the frequency yeah. of, of rebalancing and um, you know I guess I guess what it boils down to is you know you should pro- I mean this is not this is not a blanket recommendation but you know you, yeah. should, you should probably do it you know at least you know once a year right. Um, it's probably a good, just kind of a general rule of thumb. Uh, you know, can you do it more? Sure. Um, you know, uh, can you do it less? Sure. Uh, yep. But, I, you know, I would say it's just kind of a general rule of thumb, you know, once a year is probably a good idea. Um, and as far as when you do it, I mean, I don't know that it makes a big difference. I mean, it, it might, but probably not. And, yep. and, I, and I would say, you know, if you're gonna, if you're doing it on your own and you're going to do it once, just you know, pick pick a day. You know, pick your birthday. Or pick pick a date that you're going to remember and yep. just do it on that same date every year. Don't don't try to time it or 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 you know try to figure out what's going on because you know you're better off just doing it and, and having it done versus trying to to get it just right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know you, we you know we because we've been in the industry so long, we will you know we and we've probably read so many pieces on rebalancing. Um, you know, there's, I would say, I think I'm pretty comfortable in saying that there's no quote unquote best way to rebalance, right? Uh, I think the, you know, the, the, the best way to rebalance more than, you know, almost exclusively depends on the time frame over which you are measuring, right? So, you know, there'll, there'll be, you know, in a, in a given one year or three year or five year period, there's probably going to be an optimal rebalancing pattern. And that may be very different from the next one, three or five years and the next one, three or five years, right? So I, I don't I don't think that you need to worry too much about, oh, well, you know, every six months is better than is is uh, not quite as good as every year or, or every quarter. And you know, to, to illustrate that, the folks at Vanguard have you know have a, have a, an interesting piece out where they compare different they, they compare different time based uh, rebalancing strategies. And so what you get is um, you know they take you know they have monthly, quarterly, and annually versus never. And and really, you know, the the moral of the entire piece is you really just don't want to be in the never camp, right? You know, if you're if you're in never, well. You get the highest return, but you only get the highest return because because those risk assets are appreciating, and you know over time you have more risky assets, and, and assuming that those keep going up, you will get a higher return. So, so generally speaking, an unrebalanced portfolio does have the highest return. However, you know it also has the highest volatility number, right? As measured by standard deviation, um, it has the lowest sharp ratio. Now, sharp ratio is it's just a fancy term to. Uh, it's just a it's it's a return per unit of risk, right? So you you know when when you're trying to, you don't return isn't the only story in a portfolio, right? A portfolio that earns five uh, percent and has a ton of volatility is probably not as good as a portfolio that earns five percent and has and has zero volatility, right? So sharp ratio is just a way to sort of tease out well how much return are you getting you know per unit of risk. And and so you know if you if you don't rebalance a portfolio you get the most volatility, uh, generally speaking you get the the lowest return per unit uh, of risk. Okay, but then when you look deeper at the at the actual different numbers, right? And I'll I'll just do them. You know I'll do monthly. You know the, so the monthly return, uh, the volatility is eleven point seven percent, right? The quarterly return, it's 11.6%, and the annual return, it's 11.4%, right? And then the same numbers for the sharp ratio, which again is that risk-adjusted return, uh, it's 0.5 and then 0.51. So you know what we're talking about is, uh, as long as you're rebalancing, you're probably okay and you're probably getting those benefits as long as you're not rebalancing once every five years right i mean if you're doing it every quarter every six months annually even every couple of years you're going to pull in you know the, the the benefits of of that rebalancing program uh and i wouldn't spend i probably wouldn't spend any time 
thinking much about it uh, in terms of which one's going to give you the most return or the or or you know the the best uh, bang for your uh, for your buck from a risk point of view because you, you won't know which is the best and so at some point it's just you know what's the easiest for you and you know what's the one that you'll actually follow through on yeah. uh, because for the most part they're all they're all roughly the same yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. As you said, you you won't know what's the best until until you're looking back. That's right. That's right. I, I do I do recall early. Uh, you know, the, the financial planning industry is, is sort of still relatively young. At least the you know the modern iteration of it. Uh, you know, we certainly had, in the past we had very definitive pieces on oh the best way to rebalance is this right because they would just take a point in time. Here's where we were. This is my this is my data set. Right. I have, uh, you know, I used the S&P 500 between 1960 and 1980. And, you know, we had very definitive, oh, this is the best way to rebalance. This is what you got to do. And I, I think as as we move on, uh, it's uh, it's very much, I think, fairly clear that as long as you're doing it uh, in some reasonable fashion, uh, you will you will get the benefits. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the last thing I would say is, you know, you know, for, for the money that we manage, you know, at Acumara, yeah. I mean, we... You know, we're a little more proactive than that uh, when it comes yep. to the rebalancing uh, because we feel like, you know, it, it can add, you know, some, you know, some yep. level of return. I mean, it's not, remember, we're talk, not talking, and that's, you know, that's part of the, uh, you know, the quote unquote value, right, that we, that right. we provide versus somebody do it, like forget get to do it they might you know whatever they might just be too busy somebody you know kind of doing it professionally for you um you know it'll it'll get done and, and maybe at a more frequent basis which would you know add a little bit of something you know to the to the overall return yeah i mean I, and so you know the piece that i used sort of was intentionally from vanguard because uh and 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 speaks more to the kind of the retail investor right so the you know the what we do is uh, is requiring of software, right? So you know we, we are factoring in taxes, right? So you know our all of our rebalance software will will look at and say, oh, here's we have a rebalance that's um, you know your 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 X position is uh, now twenty five percent over its target, so you know that's that's determined to be not okay via the software. And now let's look at this rebalance and how do we do it? And we're going to factor in the, you know, the tax part of it and make sure that we don't sell and, and generate any short-term capital gains. So, you know, ours, we, we can build in a complexity that you probably, it would be difficult for you to do. I mean, it, it can certainly be done uh, at home, but then you're, you know, now you're talking about spreadsheets and, and daily imports of prices and stuff like that, that, that you probably aren't going to do if you're just managing and, your 401k. And, and, and to be fair, there are people out there that, that probably, oh, like, yeah. probably like <laughs> yeah. that and, and do yes. that, but, but that's, that is certainly not the majority. Very much, yeah, very much a minority of folks. But yeah, so again, if you're, we're, we're talking about, you know, generically, we're talking about someone who has a 401k and, uh, oh yeah, you know, I need to, uh, I should probably rebalance my portfolio. Uh, you know, you're not talking about a, you know, a tax ramification. And so, you know, I'm just going to do it once a year and, 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 you know, sort of that'll be the end of that. That's the, the generic example. But yeah, you can certainly factor other things in and taxes are obvious, you know, if you're, especially if you're managing a larger portfolio, right? If you have a bunch of money in a taxable account, that's subject to capital gains. Uh, that, that's a, it's a, it's another consideration that you maybe want to uh, take into account, right? In theory, you could have invested in an investment strategy um, that included a, a bunch of money in small cap stocks, and if you and if you bought in right at the, you know, in the second quarter of 2020, and uh, you, you know, you your 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 rebalancing strategy might right now suggest that you sell a bunch of small cap stocks and, and those would be subject to short-term capital gains. So again, that, there, there's certainly things to watch out for and there are pitfalls, but um, I would say you, you want to put some program together and uh, you know, whatever it is, just, you know, make, make it the one, the simplest one for you that, that works uh, for your particular uh, circumstances. Cause otherwise you might not do it. All right. I think, uh, yeah, do we cover, I think that's, that's about all I'll do on rebalancing. Obviously, um, I won't get into too deeply into how we handle it because it's, it's a little bit more complex than most folks can do. Uh, all right. So how about this? Take profits and prepare for income. I know, I'm sure, I know Mike and I, you know, sort of constantly talk about our, our buckets and, and, uh, and income needs. Um, 
and this is something that we do we do on a more a more constant basis for our clients but this is something that you as a as an investor can certainly do and 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 uh sort of on a similar time-based approach to rebalancing right you know take a look at your stuff once a year and if you are taking income right if if your income needs from your portfolio are greater than the yield of that portfolio, which odds are they probably are right now, right? I mean, if you take a look at the yield on, on the bond market and the stock market, uh, you know, even in a balanced portfolio, you're, you know, you're, you're not at, you know, maybe a, the historical two or 3% yield in dividends and, and interest rates, right? And so, um, you know, if, if your portfolio is yielding one and a half percent and you need 4% of your portfolio in order to live your life, well, then you're periodically going to need to sell some of your, you know, some of your principal in order to fund your lifestyle. All right, you know, we recommend doing that in advance, right? We, we, you, know, you, you certainly can just sell as needed, right? You know, you could set up a, you know, a monthly distribution, and you could, in theory, just sell every month and send some, you know, and, and send yourself some of your own money. Uh, our preference is to prep in advance for that, right? You know, you 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 never want to sell low, right? That part part of the uh, you know one, one of the <laughs> one of the very simple uh, rules of investing is try to avoid se- selling low whenever you can. And so, you know, we think preparing for income in advance is a good way to to do that, right? The average you know the average bear market lasts like you know less than one and a half years, and so if you had a couple of years worth of income set aside. Well, then you can probably make it through most bear markets without having to without having to sell um, any of your stocks and you know and, and give your stuff time to recover, right? So, you know, we we do that on a very ongoing basis. You know, that's based on based on kind of the cash flows of our individual clients. But you, as an investor, can certainly set up a, a time to review that once every quarter, or even once every six months, or once every year. Right? You get to the end of the year. Hey, has it been a good year? Yes, it's been a good year. So I'm going to refill my bucket. I'm going to put you know another year's worth of income in my money market fund, and that way I don't have to worry about it. So that's a, that's an easy enough thing to do uh, as an individual investor. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of math involved. You know what you know with with your anticipated dividend yield and and uh, and you know your anticipated income needs, but again, I don't think all that difficult. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, even if you're, even if maybe you know maybe you're not retired, you know, and, and you're not taking income on a regular basis, but yeah, but if you you know you need a chunk of money maybe from your portfolio, or maybe you think you might need a chunk of money, you know, within, you know maybe this year. Uh, or, or relatively soon. I mean, now is as good a time as any to maybe go ahead and make, you know, pull the trigger on it because, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, if you were invested last year appropriately, you know, yeah. your portfolio probably outperformed, you know, in, uh, you know, an average year. Uh, and right. so if you need a little bit of money, uh, you know, now is probably not a bad time to be thinking about just go ahead and do it now versus, you know, versus trying to, you know, eke out a little more return, you know, over the next, you know, six months because, you know, don't, don't know where it's going to go from here. Right. Yeah. 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 I should have mentioned that as well. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't need to need the money right now. You should probably always uh, try to plan. And, you know, we, we try to plan in advance uh, for everything. Obviously, that's that's sort of what we're doing. We're, we're financial planners, but uh, sort of pre-retirees, if if the time when you take money is getting close. Yeah. You it's it may not be a bad time to start building that bucket. Right. You don't just because you you know, it's not we have people who are accumulating uh, accumulating cash and we who we set aside cash for who are in preparation for income uh, even if they haven't quite got to the place where they're going to take it yet and it's just another peace of mind right because you know it's it's a it's a stressful decision to retire but you know if you have if you already have you know all the money that you need for several years set aside in a nice safe place i think it's going to it's going to ease that decision and, and just make it uh, that much easier to to pull the trigger and go ahead and retire yeah. And if, you know, and if, um, you know, for somebody that has, a, you know, an IRA or a 401k and, you know, may, maybe they don't need the money until next year, let's say. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, you know, I think not everyone might realize that you can go ahead and sell that money now and you don't actually have to pay the taxes until you take the money out. So, you know, if you're thinking about retiring next year, uh, let's say, uh, but you don't want to you know, do anything that might trigger, a, you know, it's a taxable event. Uh, you know, you can certainly sell something inside of an IRA or 401k now uh, and not not have to worry about taxes, um, you know, until you actually pull the money out, you know, next year, let's say. 
That's right. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, the, 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 it's not the transaction is not taxable inside of a 401k, and every 401k will have a money market or a fixed income option, or, you know, or something something safe. And that yeah, that is a good point because that's one of the things that I that uh, yeah we, we get questions on that on a regular basis when we're when we're talking about setting aside our buckets because you wouldn't you wouldn't want to take it out during a working year because you generally see a drop in income, uh, right? Uh, but you don't have to because it's just it's just moving money around inside your 401k uh all right well man we only get we don't have a ton of time left here uh yeah so i would uh, again we, we mentioned it in brief uh double check your risk tolerance it's a good time to double check your risk tolerance especially you know i think you know when the market i don't know if there's a i don't know if there's a best time to double check your, your risk tolerance but i would say when the market is up in the relative, you know, and when you've had a relatively recent bear market is probably as good a time as any, right? You know, you, you know, at, at this point, you kind of know how you felt, right? It, it's, it's fairly recent history that you, you know, your portfolio went down X percent, right? I, I have some example portfolios here. We have, you know, a, 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 an equity portfolio was down about 30, 35%. You know, a generic sort of stock market portfolio was down about 35%. If you had, you know, we, we have our moderately aggressive, which is like a 75, 25, that was down about 27, 28%. And then you had a balanced portfolio down 21 and a conservative balanced you know, balance was like, is like a 60, 40, 60 stocks, 40 bonds. That's down about 20% uh, earlier in the year. And then a conservative balanced 40 40 stocks, 60 bonds was down about 15%, right? So, so you, you kind of you have the recent history of knowing how you felt during a recent bear market and how your portfolio performed coming through that bear market. Now, those aren't, that's not as bad as it gets, you know, just to be clear, right? That, you know, the numbers looking back at the, you know, our most recent severe bear market, 2007 to 2009, are, you know, are, are, are worse than that. Uh, and certainly, so it certainly could get worse, but, uh, I think we have an idea of, uh, you know, it just, it was a good reminder that volatility, you can figure out how you felt during that time and then, uh, and, and maybe reassess and say, Hey, well, Hey, do I want to do that again? And, and it's always a better time to make that change when the market is up versus down, because you don't want to be giving up. You no, know, you know, we need, uh, we need a, we need a Cape ratio for risk tolerance. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have Arden write uh, Mr. Schiller a letter. <laughs> she probably she probably calls him Bob by this time because they're so close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I yeah. So risk taller again. It's it's uh, it, because it's a moving target, right? And and you know even us with you know with our clients we spend you know we we spend time on it up front, but that's a point in time. And you know we may have you know we may have started someone you know started a relationship in twenty uh, you know twenty seventeen after you know you know seven eight relatively good years in the stock market, and then maybe only recently did did clients find out oh well that wasn't great going through that uh, COVID pandemic. I, I didn't I didn't love when I lost thirty five percent because I'm in an equity portfolio. Um, if you're ever going to drop and get more conservative, uh, probably, you know, now is certainly a better time than it is then. So I think good, good, good chance to revisit and, uh, and check in with yourself about how much risk you're taking in your portfolio. Uh, all right. I have a few more here. We'll, we'll, we'll just kind of run through these fairly quickly. Uh, check on your holdings. So, you know, this specifically in 401ks, um, you know, you, you have a relatively limited list of holdings. So I would go through those, take a look at, at what your options are, and then uh, you know how your individual fund is done. You know, I, I do want to point out that just because you're, you know, if your if your large cap stock fund earned 15% this year, uh, that sounds good in absolute terms. Uh, but it, you know, it it was it was fairly bad when it was, you know, when compared to the S&P 500, right? So, so if your large cap stock, you know, if the average large cap stock fund earned 20, even if you're at 15, you didn't have a particularly good year, right? Now, now one year returns don't necessarily mean you have a lousy fund, but I, I do want to make sure just because we're on the heels of, you know, even with a, even with a dip in 2000, you know, in the year 2000, the long-term returns on most stocks are still very, very good, uh, but that doesn't mean that you have a good fund, right? So just make sure that you, you know, the stuff that you own is doing well, 
both in absolute, well, I would say more in, it's more in relative terms than in absolute terms, right? You, you know, you, you, have a, you have an investment portfolio, uh, you know, you may have the greatest bond fund in the world and you earned 10% last year and you may, and, you know, and you may have the worst stock fund in the world and you probably would have also earned 10% last year, right? So, so those are, um, the absolute numbers really aren't all that important when it comes to a diversified investment portfolio, you want to be making sure that yours are, are doing well relative to uh, relative to the peers and to your alternatives. Uh, I would check on costs. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry. I, did you have any comments on that? Probably not. I'm, I'm just, um, yeah. I mean, my, I was just going to say, basically you're, you're, you weren't kind of hitting it, but I mean, there's the whole, you know, active versus passive, you know, yeah. uh, discussion and debate and, I mean, that you could spend a whole show on that. Um, yeah. That's kind of what you were getting at there, sort of. I mean, you can, you know, you can buy the index and, and, you, and you get, you know, you get the return of the market versus buying a fund. You know, in our, in our in our world, you know, when you use the word fund, it means, you know, an actively managed, uh, you know, mutual fund. Right. Uh, where somebody's trying to, you know, outperform the market and that doesn't always happen you know it's not it doesn't always happen on a consistent basis that they outperform and, and right. in fact and underperform uh like yeah. example there um and so i mean and then and then and then right you know jumping into cost i mean you know talking about you know index funds you know are, are lower cost uh than these active funds and you know the, so that that i mean that's a obviously an ongoing debate about which is you know which is better um, yeah and uh, you know as so i yeah, I mean, I, I I don't want to take up all your time because we could just, no, keep, right. <laughs> we could just keep going on that one. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I think you know part of you know sort of I guess the the sort of the subtext of of this you know even this check on your holdings is it's very much you know the you know the first point was how is your fund doing relative to its peers. The second point was check on your you know check on the cost of your underlying fund, right? Um, and then the third point was you know, should you, you know, was like, should you consider an, an index fund? Uh, and I think from a, from, from a retail investor point of view, right? I mean, we, we think, you know, we, you know, full disclosure, we own actively managed investments, but from a retail investor point of view, I, I think we certainly steer folks towards index funds just because, you know, they're, they're lower cost and it's it's just harder to screw up in an index fund, right? I mean, you know, you you may you may be able to pick the greatest actively managed uh, fund and and make a bunch of money for yourself in advance, but also you might not. And you know, if you're just in a 401k, well, odds are you didn't pick that fund anyways, right? You know, you were given a menu of of choices, and they said, oh, you know, you can have this uh, Fidelity Contra fund or the S and P 500 index. And the Fidelity Contra Fund may be terrific or may have been terrific, but, you know, there's an extra cost to it. And even when it gets lousy, you know, your 401k provider maybe isn't necessarily going to tell you that it's lousy. And, uh, and, and even if it is, you know, you, you don't, um, you, if you're not researching it on an annual basis, then you, you, know, you may not know that. So we tend to have folks try to default to, uh, you know, the, the lower risk option, which in the case of, uh, of active versus passive is the passive side, right? You know you're not going to be paying uh, a bunch for your investment. You know you're going to get a fairly average return, and it's very, very low maintenance with regards to how you uh, with regards to how you handle it. And you, and you really don't need to, you, you know, you honest, you almost don't need to check on your, you know, your S and P 500 index fund because they're all very, very, uh, all going to be very, very similar. And as long as you have a don't have a particularly high cost option, you'll be okay. And I think. Well, I think that was almost, I had one little section left, but uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get to it. Anyways, thank you all for listening today. Uh, we are going to get out of here. Kirk, thanks for doing uh, your, your fourth uh, hour of radio here this morning. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate it. We will talk to you next week. Bye.